Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Brandon Ide, and another episode of Enjoy the Ride podcast starts right now. reservation somewhere at a restaurant and your significant other doesn't like that restaurant can your significant other say we shouldn't go to that restaurant because i have reservations about your reservations hey everybody welcome to the podcast uh for this episode i had robert childs on and we spoke about a very serious topic uh, that hits home for him Um, not so much for me, but I'm a good listener and I love interesting, informative stories and life experiences. So this episode is chock full of them. I really hope you enjoy it. Again, it's a very serious topic. And if you've ever had any or still have any trouble with any kinds of drugs, please reach out to someone. Learn how to. It'll help you in the long run. I promise. So I love you. And here's the episode. Hola, como estas, mi amigo? Lo hablo inglés. Oh, well, this isn't going to work at all, then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, how are you? Uh, doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, got to say, my tree's looking pretty dope. Nice. Heck yeah, man. You got a tree where you're at? Uh, we have like a little Snoopy tree type thing. It's like a two-footer. Oh, um, that's adorable. We just decided, like, I thought about surprising her and bringing home, like, a f- big tree. But it's just neither one of us are really home, you know, to really appreciate it. And, like, to go out and buy, like, all the ornaments. And, like, we've talked about moving to a different place, like, when this lease is up. So it's just kind of trying not to accumulate too much stuff. I uh, gotcha. You know I what? Mean- That's hilarious because, like, eventually I'm going to move to... And uh, I asked for an exercise bike for Christmas, just like one that I can just toss in the living room and like ride it in the morning. Yeah. And uh, it like exercise bikes don't take up very much space at all. But my wife's like, you better not be bringing like really big shit into this house because then we got to move it when we leave. And I'm like, yeah, it's an exercise bike. Like, I feel like this is logistically the best thing to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's actually there's a really cool. I don't know if you like rowing. Oh, I'm into the rowing machine, yes. Amazon, actually, for like 180 bucks. I haven't, like, tried it, but I've thought about buying it. be like 160 But it's uh, it folds up, you know, because, I mean, like, it goes straight up and straight down, you know, because, I mean, you're sitting on it. So this just kind of folds up, so you can literally put it up against a wall, and it's not taking up a lot of real estate. That's amazing, or at least it sounds amazing. I'm, I mean, I'd have to see what 160 bucks gets me exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of been like my dilemma on whether or not I want to get one. But I'm curious, you know. Like I know, right? Isn't that the isn't that crazy too? Like you see something where it's like, all right, this appeals to me like 20, percent and then you see the price of it, and you're like, okay, this appeals to me like 70 percent now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like. I bought a couple things on Wish, oh, and I God. wish I never did. Like, I wish I never did, but it's kind of <laughs> like, 
Yeah, like with exercise equipment, it's it's one of those things where it's like I we have a, like a gym that I could go to, like I can walk with under two three minutes from our apartment, and like wake up and do cardio and everything, and I even wake up early enough to do it, but it's so cold that I don't. <laughs> the cold want just to... turns you off. <laughs> like I don't want to walk out my backyard and buy this little like pond lake thing it's beautiful in the summer but i don't want to walk out there at 4 30 in the morning to go do like a fasted cardio session for a half hour i'd much rather just crawl out of bed and have like a pair of shoes sitting next to a bike or something you know and just turn the tv on just half asleep kind of do cardio but then it's that dilemma of do i want to spend this money and take up the real estate of the apartment and then once you do it, are you actually going to stick to doing it? Are you going to justify not doing it one day? Exactly. I've actually <laughs> that one day. I've made this reward system for myself now too. Where like uh, basically I bought, I went to the Dollar Tree after going to the gym one day because the Dollar Tree is in the same uh, parking lot. It's like a strip mall. And yeah. I uh, stopped in there and grabbed a candy dish and a big bag of Skittles. And I have this reward system now where I, I go to the gym four days a week. And I usually go for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour each time. And I, you know, alternate between body parts. And this dish and these Skittles is basically my disciplinary act where like if I went to the gym that day and I did the math on it and everything to see like how many Skittles can I eat each day to where that bag will last me one month. And (laughs) the answer is eight Skittles per day. Okay. Yeah, because there's roughly 240 Skittles in a larger bag. I was like, okay, cool. So divide that up by 30 days. There you go. So that's how I do it. And obviously, there's going to be some left because I only go four days a week. So there's going to be some extra Skittles at the end of the month. But that's okay. As long as they're not stale, I'll carry them over into the next month. Even if they are stale, if you suck on them for a minute, they're just like a little extra chewy. Uh, I almost prefer... Like gummy bears, like I've always liked gummy bears, but I like yeah. them a little rougher just so they have more texture to them. If they're too chewy, I feel like you're not working for it. You're not. <laughs> you gotta work <laughs> for the candy. You gotta work for it a little bit. That's right. So uh, for, for everybody listening right now to this episode, this is a bonus pod for me that I'm dropping here right around Christmas time because, you know, Christmas time, you got to give the people a gift, right? Oh, yeah. Oh this yeah, is, and apparently this is going to be a great gift. Well, the, you know, they also say that around around really big holidays is a huge time when people start to suffer from depression and stuff like that. Oh yeah. So for that, I guess um, I guess this is just going to be one big info filled podcast, you know, and it's and it's important information. Yeah, yeah. I was actually, I uh, I told you that you know I was going to, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I ended up helping somebody move a couch and going look at a new car because I'm tired of a truck and all this stuff. But I got to hang out with this guy for a while, and he has, like, a pretty crazy story as well. But my, like, my story of, like, the whole addiction thing, I feel like hits a lot of people, you know, to where, like, you go off to college and you start drinking and partying and 
kind of experimenting and then you want the party to continue and then you get introduced to pharmaceuticals and it's okay because a doctor gives them to you. you know, right. And, uh, and they're, and they're trusting you to not abuse those medications. Exactly. Yeah. And then once they give them to you, they know that they can't just cut you off. I mean, they have as of recently doctors will just cut people off, but in the past they wean you off. Um, and whether you're weaned off or you're cut off, you still have this physical dependency that you feel is actually the core of your addiction is the physical side of it. But it's actually it, it gets deeper in to where you came from. And I mean, like, you know, the whole genetic disease thing, there, there's pros and cons and arguments to each side of that. Um, but for me, there was definitely more to it. Um, that was just kind of why I found but I've met a lot of people that came from amazing families and, you know, next thing you know, you're stealing your mom's pills and having like these pill parties and, you know, like you think it's fine because the doctor gives them to you. Um, yeah. But I saw and this actually, meme. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, sorry, yeah. I just, I, I had this question. I, um, I wanted to ask you, cause I remember in our longer pod earlier on, we um we just kind of grazed over everything, and I'm glad that we're getting into depth with this, which was actually your idea. This was a fantastic idea, and um with the the pill popping and having access to pharmaceuticals, and obviously your extended college career, with the um how did you how did you manage to find a way to access drugs? Like were they were they just given to you by friends, or did you go and seek them out yourself? Um, so I mean, for me, like. They, I believe I got like an injury. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, and that's kind of where I got introduced to them. Um, I got them, you know, through like friends and stuff after that. I'm just kind of like, you know, asking people and like, hey, you know, like I'm in pain. I don't really have anything right now. Do you know where I could get anything? This sucks. You know, like playing the victim. That's a big thing. Um, and so once you play that victim, people want to help you. And then eventually you start to meet people that you can buy them from regularly. Um, oh, wow. So it, it goes from this kind of on and off thing where you might meet somebody who has access or you might not to all of a sudden your sob story comes out and then you've got a reliable source to go to. Exactly. Yeah. And it sucks because you end up taking your friends and people that are close to you and they can see it, you know, like it's not so clear to you at the time, but like one of your friends may have like five pills left over from like a surgery or a tooth pulled or something, you know? And so right. they try to help you out, but then you call them back asking, Hey, do you have any more, you know? Oh, you don't, do you know where you can get more type thing? And exactly. Yeah. It, so it they're puts... basically doing exactly what the doctors did, where they're again, giving you a reasonable amount and trusting you not to abuse it. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it sucks, um, but it's it's definitely more prevalent than I believe people actually realize. Oh, I bet. Absolutely. Now, with the with the access to those drugs from those friends, whether it be directly from a friend or indirectly, like from a friend's friend or from a friend who knows someone that you've never met before, did right. um like later on when you started to, you know, really get hooked on some stuff to where you started to feel out of control did you ever hold any resentment towards those people that gave you access? Not really. No, it was more, 
I think a big part of addiction is using people. You know, it's not, you don't, you stop looking at, at least for me, I stop looking at people as they're, as people. You start to look at them as tools. You know, what do I have to say? What do I have to do to get this person to give me what I want? And you don't really look at them as your friend anymore. Right. And the resentments do come from when they stop helping you. Okay, so um, not so much of them giving you access, but more when they stop giving you access. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it, it's silly, like, to think about it now because those they're fake. You know, that's a stupid resentment to hold on to. Um, but at the time, you know, that your world is very small. And when you don't have much to think about other than getting drugs and you know this person, you know, doesn't want to help you anymore you take it very personally. Um, you take it to a really dark place and you, even though they're trying to help you, it's hard to see it that way. You, um, you said you take it to a really dark place. What, uh, what does it feel like internally in that darkness? So that's a, that's a pretty common thing that, uh, you know, you go to like AA meetings, NA meetings, whatever, you know, you choose to do, um, or if you just talk to somebody that's not even introduced to like a program or anything, you know, and that, that dark place is something that everybody understands. It's, it's a, it's a lonely pit to where the world, you could be in a room full of a hundred people, but you're the only one in there. Um, your self-importance is very high to where you feel everybody's looking at you. You're the most important person in the room. Um, everybody's judging you. And everything becomes about me, you know, like everything was about me. And it, oh, wow. And it, I mean, your your ego was already sky high at that time. So I'm sure the drugs didn't help at all. Bite you in the ass because you want people to look at you for don't you know who I think I am? You know, that whole thing. And when you mix that with like this victim mentality and every like you really feel like the world is out to get you um so you're literally in this dark place to where you've seen men in black to where there's that little robot or that little alien inside the head that's how you feel so that dark place is you're not in control of your body anymore you're not in control of your thoughts i mean nobody really is in control of their thoughts but you you start to not care about your actions and so you've done so many fucked up things, lied to so many people that truly loved you to where that weighs on you physically. It starts to weigh on you to a point to where all you want to do is hide. And the only way you know how to hide is to go to the closest liquor store, to lie to your neighbor, to get more drugs, to find a different drug because one drug stops working. Um and you just you keep digging this hole and the thing i found is like with addiction it's like carrying a shovel and you know like they always say that you know you're not done until you hit your bottom but mm -hmm. the thing is, is you're holding that shovel for the rest of your life so you never really know where your bottom is until you stop digging and it's just it's it gets dark man it gets to a place where everybody's out to get you and it takes depression beyond what I believe depression to be to where you don't realize that the world is as big as it is. 
it gets very small to where if you're stuck in a small town, you may think that's small, but you're stuck in a room to where you can't leave that room because you don't feel comfortable. Your friends, nothing. It's right. whatever is in that room is like... your safe spot. And you'd almost wished, you know, you were in a jail cell because at least there nobody would have to, you, you wouldn't be able to see people looking at you, judging you. Um, because you judge yourself for so long for all the bad things that you've done. You feel like that's how people see you. You feel like it's kind of like one of those uh, Russian nesting dolls where like you, you start out on the outside, you're the outer doll, but then you crack it in half and you see what's on the inside and it's you again, but in a smaller form and you just yeah. keep getting smaller and smaller and you just keep hiding deeper and deeper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it sucks. I mean, it, personally, it, if you could think back and think hard, please, what, yeah. um, what would you say was your personal bottom? Uh, yeah. Um, where I was, uh, hanging out with Jess, um, in her dorm room, I had nothing like, you know, I had basically made her believe this lie of who I was, um, and we've since talked about it. Um, but I was hanging out in her dorm room and my brother stick was actually in town and I had gone to see him the day before. Um, like I went back to my mom's house or something probably to try to get more drugs or see if somebody would give me some money for some booze or, you know, I, I may have even like taken Jess's card to go to the liquor store to get booze and I needed to drink it really fast before I went back to her place um, without her knowing about it. Um, but he called me and asked if I had taken his headphones. Um, and, you know, it sounds really minuscule, but when things build up over time to have your little brother who you're proud of for doing like for accomplishing so many things, it wasn't the headphones. It was the fact that, I realized at that moment, that's how my family saw me. You know, if something came up missing. It had to have been me that I was no longer welcome in like the family home, you know, like that's right. That's so a, instead of being a source of trust, you became a source of blame. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't the, the big brother, you know, like I've, I, I now try to think about like being the person that I never had growing up. I want to be that for other people. Um, and at that moment, I realized I was a nightmare, you know, to my family. And I was the complete opposite of everything that I wanted to be. That I knew that the only reason why I got phone calls from family anymore was because something would come up missing. Um, and that kind of, that hit home harder than I think I can actually fathom to this day. You know, what's so crazy. I keep, I keep thinking about it and I keep thinking about your life and your story and you way back when you were trying so hard to be something that you're not, that you ended up being something that you're not, but in a completely different form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. You can, uh, you can think you're somebody that you're not for your entire life to where you actually start to believe it. 
and that kind of becomes the character that you play in life. Um, for me, it was this successful person that I just needed one break or, you know, I know everything about everything. And uh, in reality, I'd done a lot of things, but never succeeded at them. Just kind of taking enough information to be able to bullshit my way through. And telling those lies on a daily basis is just like digging more dirt in that hole, you know, like having to hold all those secrets in. It's, it's, it weighs on you, you know, whether you like to think little lies weigh on you or not, it does, you know, like it, it rents space in your head and that's the dark space. Absolutely. And people don't realize that too, that there's, there really is a finite amount of real estate in your mind and you got to be really, really careful about what takes up space in there. And with, um, with the, with the headphones, and that being the bottom for you that, you know, your little brother wasn't looking at you the same anymore. And I'm sure that hurt you a lot, especially just because there's there's a lot of pressure just being an older brother in general, because, you know, you didn't ask to be an example for other people. You were just made it because, you know, your mom decided to have more kids. So, yeah. yeah. So now it's completely out of your control, but you're given this extra responsibility to not fuck up and to show these younger dudes that you are someone to look up to and to look to for reliability and for comfort and for solace. But yeah, um, yeah. I I think like with addiction, it's so much about me. Um, I'm trying not to say we or you um, because I can't really speak for other people, but for me, it, it was so much about me that, you know, it did feel like that. But in retrospect, it was actually a gift. You know, I remember right. when my first brother was born, like, I thanked my mom for making me a brother. Um, and that meant a lot to me as a younger kid. And uh, you end up getting to a place to where, you know, you you know you failed. And you end up in jail, um, trusting somebody in jail to give you some heroin and a folded up napkin you know whatever piece of paper it was you don't even know what the drug is where it came from how it got in there and you're asking your family to put money on your account so you can buy deodorant to be able to pay for this ten dollars worth of you don't know what it is um <laughs> it's, oh my gosh. yeah and you know and like you're you just, you just lose everything you know literally when people in addiction say they lost everything oh for the general public, I believe they mean physical things, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is you lose your your way, you know, your path of where you're going, and things like that are very common. You know, like the question is, like, do you want to get high? It's like, yeah, like it's not with what, how much. It's just yes, you know, like it doesn't matter anymore it's whatever well, yeah because it's it's so much easier to end up regressing instead of progressing yeah exactly so yeah. with the um with the uh you say it was you did heroin in jail correct yeah <laughs> you never even told me how you ended up in jail how did that happen uh so i mean i've been in jail a few times actually a lot of it has oh been, cool yeah it's been a uh, <laughs> drinking and driving um ah. Yeah, and then, like, you know, you get put on probation, and then you fail probation. 
um, because you continue to drink. You try telling your probation officer it was like Ambisol from like tooth pain, you know, and and you can justify that because you went to a dentist to get painkillers because you chipped the tooth. Um, and so you just kind of over-dramatize everything and you end up in jail. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not fun. Um, it is what it is, you know, but. Was it all bad influences in jail or were there any inmates that were telling you like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do drugs or Hey, you know, uh, like... <laughs> no, it's, it's uh it's drug school, man. Um, oh, wow. You want to learn how to get drugs, go to jail for 48 hours. You'll walk out with a hundred phone numbers. Um, <laughs> you want to learn where to get it, how to make it, you know, whatever that it, that's, that's where you go. Um, which is fucked up up until this last time I went to jail it was actually, uh, like six months ago. Um, and it was just, had just moved in and I had some like warrants for like a dog off the leash ticket and, like another ticket that I had ne- never taken care of, and so you know, like a dog they, off the leash ticket. Yeah, it was a hundred and twenty dollar ticket that apparently they had put me on probation for, and I never paid attention to it. So, you know, it's a, it's those little things that you're just like, I'm better than this, so you don't deal with it, and so you end up spending four days in jail while your girlfriend that just moved in with you for the first time has to show up to court for four days <laughs> just to try Damn. to figure out how to get it out. But uh, yeah, this last time I went. Um, I actually met somebody that, you know, they had cleaned their act up and they were essentially doing what I was doing and just kind of like cleaning up the wreckage of your past. And, you know, so I spent a lot of time talking to him and, you know, like his addiction and, you know, he kind of just one day was like, I'm done, you know, and like he begged the judge to stay in jail um, because he knew if he left, he'd die. Now is now is your personal story like that? Was there like one big change for you that happened just instantly one day, or was yours more of like a gradual thing? No, mine was a gradual thing. So I ended up, you know, like at my mom's, uh, using quite a bit, drinking a lot, and uh, you know the whole thing with the headphones happened, and that kind of triggered this thing that kind of led me to believe in like a higher power. Um, okay. I started watching like a Netflix show where there's like a mom and a daughter, and they're in AA. Um, so like that was kind of my introduction to like, all right, people can get their shit together and then watching shameless really weird, but you know, like there's a character in shameless to where like he goes to AA meetings and you know, he's trying. And so that's, you know, you hear about rehabs and all these things like that, but until like something clicks, you know, you don't really realize it. And so all these things are clicking and I started calling rehabs all over the country. I had no idea what I was doing. Found out they can cost up to like $100,000 for three months. Oh, gosh. And uh, <laughs> I found a place in Ann Arbor that took my insurance. And, uh, you know, I had to call once a week to until a bed showed up. And they finally said, yeah, you can come in on month, on Friday. And I was not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, how many people are? Yeah. And so I kind of let the party go for a few more days and then they stretched it to Monday. And so I was like, all right, you know, it's, it's time. And that's, that's scary. You know, did anybody else know that you were going to this house or, or were you the only one? Um, No, I, I didn't really tell anybody. I, I, to this day, there's some people that I don't tell. 
Did you um, feel ashamed about it at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, uh, you know, like when you go to places like that, they tell you, you know, you have to surrender, you know, that, you know, you're powerless. And I am not powerless. Like, I, I can beat anything except for myself. And that's something that I had to learn. But you know, I walked in and had this, like, interview with the director to see if I met the criteria, which was really weird. Um, clearly, I belong there. And uh, I, To meet the and, criteria. So did you, I mean, did you have to do, like, a certain kind of hardness of drugs? Or, like, what, no, what was the criteria? No, I, I honestly still to this day don't quite understand it. Mm. Um, I think it's just them kind of wanting to see if you're actually ready. Um, cause a lot of people, while I was in rehab, I've, I saw three or four people come in two, three times while I was there, you know? Okay. So, so they just want to sit down with you one-on-one to just like try to cut through any bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people like to come in to get clean long enough just so they can make their next move. Um, for me, I, I was done, you know, like my girlfriend had moved. Um, she got a great job in Grand Rapids. Um, I saw my brother, I saw my brother doing great things. You know, I had no friends. Um, my family didn't want anything to do with me. My mom wanted me out of the house. Um, people I respected looked at me as trash. I had nothing like I had no game plan and I chose this place because they would let me stay there the longest. And so I I was homeless. I had nowhere to go. And so I chose this place because it let me stay there the longest and, that's that's kind of what happened you know i mean like all right and also because they took your insurance so that's pretty convenient as well yeah exactly yeah i don't even remember how i got insurance to be honest a lot of my life is a big blur um up until like this past year and now it feels like i did such a good job of numbing myself that now i'm in this fast forward mode did you um did you ever do any drugs while you were in that house no, no, I, uh, May 15th, I walked in and, uh, I, I haven't touched anything since. Um, That's I mean, fantastic. Like, like the thoughts come, you know, like it's a really weird thing because it's more of like, watch me hurt you by hurting myself type thing. Um, right. or for me, an ego is a big thing. So it's, you know, I got this, you know, like I could just have one, um, but towards the end, I had drank so much that the smell of alcohol would make me physically ill. Mm. But I would have to force it in. Um, I would have to make a very large glass, like a 50-50 mix, choke it down, throw up. Um, I threw up so much that I've actually rotted a few of my teeth. And my throat has deteriorated a little bit from throwing up so much. Oh, just from the, like, the acidity of the puke? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I would drink the first one knowing I was going to throw up, but at least some of it would stay in me to calm things down so I could get the rest in. Um, And a fifth of vodka for me was a before 10 o'clock type thing just to get me going. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So with the... um. So with the physical change with you trying to get clean and then eventually coming completely clean while you were in the house and not doing any source of drugs at all, did, um, did those, did those negative thoughts still carry with you, even though you were physically clean? Uh, yeah. I mean, like 
everybody's heard of like the 12 steps and stuff. I believe mm-hmm. this is kind of where your question's going. Um, you know, working those things, it's weird because, you know, you'll be asked these questions in this book and you write the answers down, not really understanding. And then later on, it, it kind of clicks, it hits you and, you know, you start to grow a little bit. Um, but no, when I, when I was there, um, I was, I was dead, like mentally, spiritually, almost physically, I was dead. I walked into my first meeting and I sat down and people started talking to me and it sounded like Snoopy's teacher. You know, I couldn't, <laughs> Just I, wah, 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 I did not wah. know what it was like to have people talk to me. My brain was so jumbled. I couldn't make out sentences. I couldn't remember anything. Um, I just sat down and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Somebody brought me here. I don't know where I'm at. I was, I was gone. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's kind of emotional, but like, I was gone. I, if I died, I didn't care. I probably wouldn't try to not die. Um, I knew that I had like my girlfriend. Um, she was the only one that actually believed in me, but I don't really, you know, she'll even admit this, you know, like, it was kind of, she was doing her own thing. And uh, if I made it, which she hoped I did, then, you know, we could keep going and, mm-hmm. you know, she wanted to be a part of it, but she wasn't also putting up with any bullshit. And I think, and, I think maybe that's one reason why you were so gone when you got there was one, because obviously it's an unfamiliar place. You've never been there before Two, you're meeting a bunch of strangers that you've never met before that you have to somehow live with as well. And three, you're finally in a spot in your life where there's, I mean, unless you just walk out the front door yourself, there's no way that you can bullshit through it. Yeah. Yeah. You're in a house full of people that have lied as much as you mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, and I know certain times more, you know, there's people way worse off than me, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was a time to reflect on who I actually was. And that that's the hard part, you know, like can I couldn't look in a mirror, you know, like mirrors. Right. I, I didn't want to see what I looked like. I didn't want to face that. And, you know, like actually having to look in the mirror, not just physically, but like mentally, you know, like that, that's hard facing yourself. Um, and that's the thing that gets a lot of people is they're not ready for that. You know, that's the fight. You know, that's how you start to build that ladder to get out of that hole is, is not just saying you're working on yourself but actually reaching out and apologizing to people, you know, for, for things you've done. Um, and it's just, um, would you say that you're completely out of that hole now? No, no, I put myself back in that hole every day. (laughs) It's just mentally or yeah. I mean that the, the dark end's gone, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, there's still stuff, you know, like just talking. I remember I had a conversation like a couple of years ago where you were doing paintings and I bought a couple paintings off you and then I wanted another one. And it was just a complete bullshit, you know, on my part of like wanting like this engagement painting type thing. Cause I, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I thought that'd be a great idea. It's because my relationship failing and I had reached out to you for this thing. And so like, I have to apologize for never actually falling through on that. Um, I accept your apology. But Yeah. It's little things like that, you know, that like, 
you, you know, we're not perfect people. No one's perfect, you know. Right. But like actually realizing that you've done wrong, um, it it can weigh on you. And for me, my ego takes over a lot. Um, and it, it sucks, you know, but I mean, it's, it's something that I look back and, you know, like there was a time to where I got some Coke and somebody had given me a crack rock and I didn't know how to smoke it. So I put it on some tin foil and put a lighter under it with a McDonald's straw to try to smoke it because I thought I'd seen that in a movie somewhere and you're doing that in your mom's bathroom. I thought I've seen that in a movie somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so like <laughs> you're trying to learn how to smoke crack in your mom's bathroom around Christmas time because you don't have any more booze and you know like you See, this is that. how I know that you're so in your own head because you're explaining this right now and this wasn't your rock bottom. Your rock bottom was sitting there listening to your brother accuse you of taking his headphones yeah yeah like that's just the normal life back then but looking back at that that is hell like anything that happens to me from now on i can handle it you know like death you know obviously it's going to happen um it's gonna be hard but i'm not in control anymore you know, I don't I don't have control over as much as I thought I did, but I do have control over my reactions to things. And uh, absolutely like looking at those things and realizing that that was just a Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> you know, like I'm not OK with that anymore. Um, well, right. And that should honestly, as long as you're a healthy living person, that should never be anyone's Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Speaking of speaking of death, I um I I gotta know like because I know that you've taken a range of drugs and when we were messaging to get this whole thing arranged, I remember you saying, "Look, it's easier to just ask what drugs haven't I done." Yeah. <laughs> so with um with the the broad range of drugs that you've done, how how close would you say you've come to, you know, death? Close, um, very very close. There's a. There was one time in particular, I can remember, I got a hold of a bottle of morphine. And uh, morphine's a really weird drug um, to where it doesn't hit like a a heroin or an oxy or I can't believe I don't remember all these names. I feel like a failure as a drug addict. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, what the hell, man? (laughs) But, you know, it doesn't hit that hard. It actually messes with your heart very much. And so... Oh, okay. Getting, Does it like slow it down or speed it up? It slows it way down. And okay. so I I wasn't getting the high that I wanted. So I took more and more. And I remember laying there, feeling my heart like a sledgehammer on the inside of my chest and not wanting to tell anybody, you know, because if I told somebody that would be admitting I was a drug addict and i fucked up there's no way of talking yourself out of that you know you take 20 morphine or whatever it was i don't remember you know it's probably around there but you know you take 20 morphine and there people are going to start asking questions there's going to be a conversation after that and i couldn't look people in the face i didn't i wasn't ready for them to see me as a drug addict they already did but i wasn't ready to admit it so i laid there and just 
you know, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. You know, like, I wasn't scared. If anything, like, part of me wanted to die. At least then I didn't have to look at anybody. You know, like, I was I was a pussy. I was ready to just give up. Um, thankfully, it didn't happen, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a normal... That was that could have been a Wednesday at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And the fucked up thing is, as soon as that passed, I remember going back to the bathroom and taking more oh, um, just, to, just to see if I could figure out another way of doing it, you know, or maybe if I took them quicker, or snorted them or mixed them with more alcohol, you know, then I could get what I want. It 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 sucked, man. It's not Jeez. something that I ever want anybody to go through and you know like the whole like i've i've had friends that have died in this past year and a half they're i saw them on a monday they're dead on a wednesday you know and it's the whole being afraid to reach out to people thing um right and it happens so fast and i guess that a lot of people don't even really think about reaching out until it's too late (coughs) so uh i mean hindsight is always 2020 yeah, yeah. the The weird thing is, is like you're. For me, I was almost. I wished people would have told me. You know, I wished people would have said, "Hey, I think you have a problem." Well, the thing um, is, you're you were so intimidating back then. It was so hard to actually talk to you because you would never show anyone you and who you were. Yeah. 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 It no. It was I, tough, man. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah, it sucks because like that's just another way of putting the blame on somebody else, you know, but I mean, that's where I was at the time. I wish somebody else would just ask me what's really going on. You know, like, do you need help? Um, But for me, it was every single night, you know, towards like the last six months, it was tonight's the last night, tonight's the last night, you know, and then you wake up and you're like, Oh, I'll just have one to feel better. And then it just starts the whole cycle over again. And you're this robot watching your body, walk to the liquor store throwing up on the way there throwing up on the way back and then it's vicious disgusting cycle to where it's okay to drive parents house whatever because you know they have drugs and steal them and then walk right out and when they confront you about it tell them that they were dreaming you know or that no that wasn't you you know, um, absolutely. And yeah, no, this is, um, this is really good. And I actually, I'm actually happy that it ran a little longer than expected. Yeah. So I know you want to, usually if it runs a little longer Um, than expected, that means that it's going really smoothly. I, um, I, I think that we've hit the lower point in the podcast of, of, you know, explicitly talking about death and how close you came to it and, uh, talking about regression and how easy it is to regress than to progress. And uh, so with that, I think I'd like to progress into the last question of the podcast. All right. So um, with that, obviously, I'm a positive guy. You know, I shit sunshine and rainbows. And I wanted to end it up. Does it hurt? You know, it's not great. It's not great. I'll tell you that. Does that hurt? (laughs) 
I feel it's, 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 I, yeah, hot. it's ironic how not positive <laughs> it is. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's not so positive. So, uh, not what I thought. After, after going through everything you went through and then yeah. um, <laughs> willingly putting yourself into that house to get yourself sober and get yourself back in the right mindset, um, with the combination of what you've learned through experiences outside of that house as well as inside of that house, what tools have you taken with you and how those tools helped you stay clean to this day? Oh, wow. Um, and you can just name a few. I, if you uh, want. I don't think I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I know all the tools. Okay. Yet. I know I don't. Um, a, a lot of them are uh, the simple ones. They tell you uh, like, stay small. You're not that important. You know, like, you're really not. Nobody's that important. Um, so stay very small. Um, a big one that I had to learn the hard way. I actually got kicked out of rehab um, and was forced to be homeless for a week. Um, is uh, you can either get humble or be humbled. Um, that's a very large one. Um, I, th- I think the biggest the biggest tool in any addict's arsenal um any i know it's probably it's probably because there's something outside he's yeah. not happy you know what's about so funny that i know sorry about that yeah it's probably because there's a rabbit outside in the front yard he hates rabbits don't uh, let the rabbit distract you uh, but yeah i think i think the uh the the biggest tool in any addict's arsenal um, any person's arsenal is is their phone you know like the, the phone is such a big tool that we have and to actually ask for help um, and, and make sure that you know my intentions were pure when asking for help because you have to learn how you know like if you actually need help instead of you just don't want to do the work that there's a difference but if you're willing to do the work and you need help you know, reach out, you know, like I would rather listen to you complain or ask for a ride to a meeting or, you know, any sort of help than listen to a eulogy of your death, you know, like, so reach out and be humble and, and ask for help. That that's the biggest tool, um, that, and, uh, there was this one thing I, I wore a bracelet that a buddy gave me in rehab and it was, don't say anything unless it's true. It's kind and it's needed, you know? So to interject into other people's conversations, to try to put your two cents in, that's not needed. You know, you're not adding anything. If anything, you're looking, you're making yourself look negative. Um, and don't, you know, you don't have anything to prove. You're not that important. You know, like just live your life and be happy and help people. Um, I've gotten more out of my life now from helping people than I ever got from hurting people. Hurting people comes back to hurt you more than you ever imagined. But if you can help somebody, that's what we're here for. That there's no other reason to be on this planet than to help people. You know, we're supposed to be humans. We're we're one. 
you know, so helping people gives you more than you gave that person. Gosh, wow. That was a lot. You know, that was more than I expected. Gosh, you, uh, you get me, you get me uh, a yeah. for my buck there. Okay. Well, yeah, well, I mean, you're giving us sunshine through your asshole. I figured I, I might as well give you something. <laughs> if I, you, that, you're damn right. You know what? If I'm giving sunshine through my asshole, I better get some reciprocation somewhere. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. You just might have a tight butthole because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of sun I, right now. So you might want to <laughs> eat some Taco Bell. I know. I, know. I need the hottest sauce. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? This was fantastic. We're we're ending on a positive note and a laugh and Taco Bell coming out of my asshole. So, um, for everybody listening to the pod, it uh, it took its twists and turns, but we always end up at the finish line safe. So, um, I love you guys. I'm happy that I could get Rob on again so that we could dive as deep as possible into this uh, drugs and addiction episode and getting clean episode. And uh, I hope that the tools that he's explained to you and guided you through can help you in the future. If you have any problems with any kinds of drugs, like he said, learn how to ask for help, learn how to reach out. It's not just a a given thing that you're born with and able to do. You got to learn how to do it. And it's a process. And um, yeah, Rob, thank you so much for being on again, man. All right, man. I'll I'll wrap this up because it's getting kind of late. So I think I'm going to hit the sack, but I hope you have a great night. Thanks, man. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Enjoy the Ride. If you like what you heard, be sure to take a second and leave a rating and review. Feedback from my listeners is what makes this podcast better over time. And with that, I'll leave you with 30 seconds of a catchy song that you may or may not have ever heard before. So enjoy the ride, enjoy the tunes, and you'll hear from me again soon.